This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, meaning the clients get a far richer candidate pool from which to choose than just placing ads in pubs and online. And their client satisfaction rate across multiple markets is 98%. If you're looking for a new opportunity or for the perfect candidate column, you can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. And now it's on to our show. We welcome two DMO sector veterans to the mic, Dave Serino and Brian Matson of 26 Digital. Dave is the founder and chief strategist at 26 Digital, also a 30-year veteran of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industry. He's held marketing positions in hotels, resorts, and convention and visitor bureaus, along with launching two successful startup ventures in a national social media educational conference. He also developed the first tourism-focused social media measurement and ranking study to benchmark the 50 state tourism offices. He serves on the board of the West Michigan Tourist Association and is also a member of the Michigan Craft Beverage Council's Marketing Committee, and I can imagine that those are fun meetings. Brian has been part of the travel and tourism industry since 2003 and has pioneered several digital and social media promotional programs that included various forms of content development and distribution processes. Brian received the Explore Minnesota Travel Marketing Excellence Award and the North Dakota Governor's Award in Tourism Marketing for his efforts. He is a well-recognized speaker at state, regional, and national conferences and is known for his entertaining presentation style that makes his talking points stick with attendees. He is also the guy behind the wood chipper in front of the Fargo-Moorhead CVB, which has become one of the biggest selfie magnets in the Midwest. Guys, welcome to DMOU. Hey, Bill. How are you, man? Thank you, Bill. This is so weird because we see each other in person all the time. And wow, it's been almost a year, right? Well, now we see no one in person anytime. Yeah, but we see everybody on Zoom. So I can't decide if I've seen more people electronically than I would have seen in person. I'm not sure. Probably not. Yeah, I feel like the the whole Zoom thing is actually making me more connected in a weird way. I, I feel like I'm seeing people a lot more frequently than like maybe at the little event or something or going to the conference or something. Now I'm seeing people like every week, yeah, it feels like. absolutely. Well, guys, we've been looking to have you on for quite some time. And the whole digital evolution of what we've done over the past two decades, you know, we look back on it and you, know, you can't imagine a time before email or before websites. Most of us can't imagine a time before social. And you guys are at the cutting edge of that and you have been thought leaders for decades. And so we really wanted to pick your brain at this point as we now are looking at a brand new year with brand new challenges and I suppose opportunities. You know, some DMOs have gotten really sophisticated in analyzing their consumer data that is derived from the use of browsers and mobile devices and apps. But recent moves by Apple and some other tech giants are giving these consumers more control over their data. And that will deny, in some cases, marketers like us, the intel that we've been using to target markets and messaging. So you guys have been using this data to successfully advise your clients for years. What do these changes mean for DMOs and other marketers? I don't know if we know as of yet what the changes are going to be, to be like. Uh, we do know uh, sometime in the next iOS 14 point whatever, Apple is going to put in the uh, the opt-in queue. So you're going to have to opt in to have your data uh, seen or uh, you know by the advertisers. 
it's going to block a lot of cues that we take to kind of amplify our marketing and uh, and our targeting. But I still don't think it's it, it's kind of a dead end at this point. Yeah, I, I kind of echo that. In a way, I think it, it kind of makes us go back to the roots or back to the fundamentals, if you will. You know, you mentioned we've been doing this for, you know, I've been doing this for a decade or so or whatever. It's going back to some of the things that we did back then. And that's taking control of email lists and, and things like that. We can't just kind of you know, pass the buck off to all these networks at this point to say, hey, you do all the heavy lifting for me. And we got to manage this stuff ourselves and, and take ownership of that stuff. So in a way, I kind of feel like it's a blast back to like 2010 or something like that before social really, really kind of took everybody's attention. Our mantra right now is uh, own your data. And we're hoping people do that at uh, a little bit more of an accelerated pace than they have in the past. Yeah, it's been crazy. Like email, for instance, the monthly newsletter, things like that have, have taken a backseat here over the last you know, five years. So much attention, so much budget, so much time is put into Facebook and the Twitters and, and all of that stuff. I'm shocked talking to clients many times. It's like, oh yeah, we don't even do email marketing anymore. We're not managing a list anymore. Or we send out a, a quarterly newsletter and that's about all it is. It's kind of the rebirth of email marketing in, in a sense. I feel that coming back pretty aggressively. Well, we're going to talk about email marketing uh, in a, another question, but I want to go a little deeper in this first question. And that is, uh, Dave, you said, you know, we got to own our data. Take me further through that. How does a DMO pro collect and own their own data? Well, it, it starts with email. For example, you can have the biggest audience on Facebook. You could have the biggest audience on Instagram, but if Facebook and Instagram go a different way, you have zero audience. So one of the things that uh, that we have been looking at was uh, is a lot of lead generation. We call them lead generation uh, programs uh, where, where they're going out, capturing uh, email addresses and using that type of and using that uh, email to, to communicate anything you can. I mean, in the old days, we used to have uh, names, addresses and, and zip codes and phone numbers, and, and that's gone by. Right. So now if you can get a cell phone number, uh, which is a, still a pretty good piece of currency right now because people aren't changing their cell phone number. It's something that you keep forever. It's almost like a social security number now or a social security card and your email address. And these are the two best ways, I think, to uh, to own consumer data. Yeah, and luckily, Facebook has a perfect ad product here with their, their lead generation ads, which work extremely well. But it's also just, just driving traffic back to those sign-up pages on the website as well. So it's not just Facebook lead ads. I mean, you can use Twitter cards. You can use Pinterest as well and drive people back to sign up for those opportunities. I think it just needs to become a part of your regular plan as you're moving forward. Well, that's a perfect segue into the second question, and that is social was always a big part of the toolkit for you guys as you advised your clients around the country. Now it becomes even more so. How do you see the use and evolution of social media platforms by consumers and DMOs evolving as we come out on the other side of the pandemic? I mean, I'm thinking it should be the same way it was on the front side of the pandemic. So okay. what was happening is, you know, because the algorithms changed, because Facebook, obviously, and all these other companies and Pinterest and everyone else is a uh, public company now. Public companies need revenue they, you know, to keep stockholders happy. So they changed the algorithms. So it became a little bit more of a, of a pay-per-play kind of method. And you could have the best content in the world, and you could feed that to your audience that you have right now. But it's, it is being throttled a bit, right? And they're not always interacting on that content based on the glut of content that's out there. It's almost impossible 
for everyone to see all of the organic content that's generated on a daily basis. So with that, we've always been talking about taking your, your good content or your most targeted content that, that reflects what you have within your destination and starting to amplify that. And again, you don't need millions of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars or even thousands of dollars to, to do this thing, this kind of stuff. You know, with a good targeted plan, uh, you could take that good content that you have, that solid content that reflects the amenities you have within the destination and start to push it out and amplify it to, to more audience or a greater audience as just one of your fans or followers. One other trend that I've kind of seen kind of during the pandemic is this focus for CVBs to be like turning inward or looking at locals. I think that push of activating the local to be the ambassador for the destination is also a play that we can do. Now, that kind of stuff can be free. I mean, you don't have to pay to reach that. Uh, reaching locals is uh, is a lot easier than reaching some of the target markets. So the local ambassador kind of an idea can be huge. But I hate to lean too heavily on an organic strategy at this point because the tools are out there. The ability to target people is out there. And, you know, we're destination marketing organizations. You know, if we're going to be a marketing agency, we should be using the best marketing tools to fulfill the job. So why wouldn't we be using those tools? So I'm really stressing all of our clients, you know, to say, paid first, think of paid strategies, let paid kind of dictate what your best content is, and then kind of lead the way with that. I mean, it's one thing to throw dollars at something and get the clicks, but it's also something to see like which kind of content is performing the best and then kind of molding your content strategy to, to kind of run with your strongest player, if you will. One of the, uh, the options now available is to focus on paid ad firsts and then using your most successful ads to publish organically. And we've actually got a couple of case studies that we're working on with our ads team right now where we've been doing this, where we, we take an ad, we create the perfect ad, we send it out to the appropriate audience. That ad is getting engagement, right? It's getting likes, comments, shares. That engagement is like an engagement score. It kind of shows the health. Every ad that you make has six versions or 10 versions of an ad. And, and if you run ads, you always see that one of those ads takes off whether it's the picture or the, the way the caption is laid out or what emojis you used, whatever it is, uh, there's always one ad that performs better. And what we can do now is take those kind of proven pieces of content, okay? It's not, we're not hoping that this thing generates clicks. We already know that it resonated with audiences and you can actually just share that to your organic timeline. You can use the ads that have been kind of A-B tested, right, if you it's will. Like, it's like a live A-B test that you're running on a daily basis. And just start publishing that stuff to your timeline. In another sense as well, I'm really seeing that, you know, the time crunch coming into all of this. If you start focusing on a paid first strategy at this point, it kind of gets rid of that need for you to be on all the time organically, right? So maybe you don't need that post every single day on Facebook. Maybe you don't need that three to five tweets every day, right? If you lead with paid, you can run a very effective niche targeted piece of content for three to five days. And honestly, you'll probably see a bigger impact with the $50 that you throw at that one piece of content than if you put five pieces of organic content out there and just kind of hoping that Zuckerberg gives you the reach on that. I really stress it's like time to take control of this stuff. Use the tools, use the data to be able to, to kind of populate your content online. In the past, we've always hoped that the content we generated was going to uh, spark the users to to engage and, and interact. And, and now with, with that th this paid first um, kind of approach, we can target those consumers who we think would most uh, uh, engage with the content or show the biggest interest in that content we're promoting. 
and then again, you know, through this kind of live A-B test program, uh, we, we know what headline, you know, what photo, uh, what copy is going to work the best. And through the, um, through the AI of the applications, uh, it, it picks it for you. You know, we were going through uh, this past year a DMO assessment program, a uh, community, a city had concerns that the DMO wasn't really hitting on all cylinders. And uh, we asked you to come in, and I was fascinated with one of the charts that you did after analyzing their data, is there was an absolute correlation between when they were active socially, and they weren't very active socially, as you remember, but when they were, there was an absolute correlation to hits on the website, and we could also see spikes in occupancy. Tell us a little bit about how you can analyze these things and, and realize which ones are the ones that perform better than, than the B test or the C test. One of them is, uh, is link clicks, right? So we're, we're sending out a piece of content that's posted on the site where, where we're yeah. watching the, the lift that's happening on the websites. So we can also drill into that content to see uh, who came to the landing page, what the DMAs, you know, where they were from. Uh, how well they engaged. Uh, you know, we're, we're using things on websites uh, through Google Tag Manager. We're measuring uh, scroll depth now. So when somebody clicks on an ad, they get to a, a specific piece of content. We know uh, not only how much time they're spending on the site, but how much they are engaging in that piece of content. So that th these are all little uh, bits and bytes. You know, when we, we talk about the, the mosaics where we, we pull all these little tiles and we put them together and they kind of put together a picture. Uh, for us of, of exactly what's happening based on, on our digging. Yeah, I would just add to that too. So it's like the diving into Google Analytics to kind of get the trend to write the strategy or build the silos for the strategy. But at the end of the day, you know, when we talk about data and we're talking about optimization and all of this, so much of this is being done by machines at this point. It's not like we're sitting here mixing potions in the back room. We're using <laughs> the tools that exist. The machine learning and the AI and all of this stuff is all collectively coming together. I mean, we have to put the content together, but we use Google Analytics to figure out what those niches are, what the differentiators are for the destination. We can look and see time on page, for example, to be like, wow, people are really engaging with this ski content with this destination or fat tire biking. Okay, well, let's make that a part of our content mix. But at that point, we create the content. We throw the variety of headlines out. We get our assets together with our photos. And then honestly, we, we let the machines do the work. Yeah, people need to kind of go a little more hands off a little bit. I think right. we over engineer ourselves out of success sometimes. And you got to just let, let the tools do the work. Hey, Dave, when we first met, you were heading up a startup that assisted DMOs with their email marketing efficacy. And I am sure there are some listeners today that view email marketing, like you said earlier, as quaintly old school, right? You told me and you said right at the outset of this conversation that Email marketing is a fundamental building block of any successful marketing campaign. So how should DMOs view email marketing going forward? Well, uh, viewing it as a priority, number one, I mean, that's, that's how we would, would definitely view it. Uh, two, you really have to structure a program and a strategy. Uh, you, you know, the, the old days, they used to talk about spray and praying, and they used to make the hair stand up on the back of my neck because... I always talked about doing good, calculated, uh, uh, consistent campaign work. Uh, people would say, oh, yeah, just shoot out a, an email and see what kind of clicks we get. And, and you know, that, that was never a good strategy at all. Uh, so, so we always feel that you have to think through the process a little bit. 
uh, highlight the best content you have and then build it up either in a monthly uh, general email or do a little bit more of a target it based on niches if you have a you know heavy heavy uh, niche based uh, destination but consistency is number one and one of the things that uh, that, that we joked about here a, a while back was uh, I found a slide deck that I did, I think, in 2002 about email marketing. And the fundamentals that we talked about in 2002 are no different than the fundamentals that we're talking about now in uh, 2021. Exactly right. The fundamentals are the same, but the technology has grown right, up right. as well, right? Like now, you know, if you're building out your email strategy and you're trying to take that very seriously, I mean, using smart email platforms, customized content is really key. I always feel bad for the person on a CVB staff that has to do the newsletters because we've niched these out in so many cases where they're making 10 different versions of an e-newsletter, right? They've got their outdoor rec people. They got their family fun people. They got their meetings people. You know, they got their sports tournaments people. And it's a ton of work, right? But now, luckily, I mean, a lot of the smart email tools come out now. They're tracking what content those subscribers are engaging with. And all we have to do now is create content pools of, right. you know, our best content for these different niches. And again, you let the tools do the work. That's it, right? All the data is being tracked. It's not like we have to go through those Excel sheets to figure out what people want. It's all based on people's past engagement with that stuff. So I think smart email is kind of that next evolution of email marketing. But like Dave said, the fundamentals are all there. I think it's like you, you can uh, work smarter, not harder with some of the tools that we have today. Well, back in the old days, I don't think we've had as much retargeting tools as we do right now and pixel technology and, and everything else. But like if you just think about a think through the process on your email marketing, you're sending out an email today about skiing in the, in the destination and you've got an email list of, I don't know, say 50,000 people uh, of that list. Maybe you get uh, 10,000 clicks to that website. Uh, they click the content, they bounce around a little bit and then they leave. Well, the next step to that is if you're sending the email out on Friday or Thursday, whenever the case is, maybe that following Monday or Tuesday, you start to uh, re-engage them with a retargeting campaign uh, about some other skiing options. Like, you know, you clicked on the, uh, the people are clicking on the landing page, tell them about, uh, you know, how to book a ski getaway or, or, or give them some consumable travel product on another page or, or some itinerary suggestions. So, so it's more layered. Uh, and, and, and more strategical than it was in the past, but but it's the fundamentals of developing the campaign are all very, very similar. Yeah, I think the, the biggest shortcoming, I think, for a lot of DMO marketing plans is that it's one-touch marketing. You know, it's blasted out there, you read my email, we're good, done, job achieved, move on to the next item, um, when it's actually just the beginning. That's that first indicator. I, I mean, I think as far as like the sales funnel, uh, um, that is really lacking in, in destination marketing. So you got to think, you know, step one, deliver the email. Step two, retarget the people that clicked over to XYZ landing page and then start that nurturing process. We, we have to start like pretending that we're selling T-shirts here instead of just doing this full-blown inspiration stuff saying, oh, well, maybe people will find interest in this. I mean, let's get a little bit more aggressive with the sale here. Yeah. And, and you know, I always liken this to the old days uh, when we were developing print ads. You had a print ad, uh, you developed it with your agency, you got a sign off, you sent it to the publication and you checked the box and you went to happy hour that night and you were done, right? But today when you send an email campaign out, right? You have to think about who's going to take action on that, how we're gonna quickly retarget and take another step in the next day or two 
But in the old days, you uh, you sent the ad out and then you waited six months later for that ad to be published and, uh, and, and hopefully the phone would ring, right? And, and I think culturally, destination marketing, we still think like that at times, which is, you know, for us, it's a bit of a surprise that, that, that the thinking still is, is in that, uh, that line. So, you know, we would just want people to think a little bit more progressively maybe and, and think about steps and stages rather than just one time. Yeah, one of my favorite case studies that came out of Tom Martin's book, The Invisible Sale, was just right down that line that we're talking about, about retargeting and, and understanding the data that is right in front of you. You know who clicked on what image or what offer or what topic. Now, these are no longer, especially in a sales funnel, like a convention or a sports sales funnel, these are no longer cold contacts. We know this person likes, they're looking for value. Right. So the right. next right. few touches need to be reinforcing that this is a value destination. We've got great deals for you where somebody else clicked on the message about luxury or whatever it might be. Do you find that that's where a lot of DMOs miss is that just to your point, they send it out and we're done, move on to the next and they're not doing that? Probably 95% of the people that uh, we engage yeah. in discussions with. I talk to people about indicator flags. Every action that you take in this kind of cookies and clouds world that we live in, right? It's all an indicator. You know, it's not that you see that Beth clicked on this, or we don't know people by names, but again, the tools know who those people are and what actions they took, right? So that's the key. Follow the indicators, give people a reason to indicate an interest and then follow that up. It's really a nurturing strategy instead of, you know, like the, the spray and pray kind of approach before, man, this is micro target kind of stuff. You have to be really thoughtful about what you're doing. I just think like the step one, step two, step three has to be a part of the mix at, at this point. Yeah. It's a lot like the uh, great classic line in Jerry Maguire, right? Help me help you. And that's what the consumer that's getting your email is doing is they're helping us better understand them because we know what they clicked on and okay, yep. this person's into outdoor rec, this person's into the arts great. Now we've got something. And that's a huge challenge for us now is that getting the consumer to understand that allowing advertisers to get access to this information actually helps them get right. better content and make their feeds mm -hmm. more relevant, right? It, there, it's yeah. kind of weird. It's like this weird fear mongering thing that all of this data is being used to like track you, tax you, throw you in jail where I don't think it's a negative message in this. It actually can enhance and make your online experience better. I hope that consumers understand the, the value of that because otherwise their feeds are going to become boring. They're going to become irrelevant to what their interests are. And then that just diminishes the overall value of these channels in the first place and whether or not we should even be wasting our time there. It's a joint approach here. It's, it's the advertiser and the consumer sharing that data so that we can actually present something that's valuable. Right. Well, yeah, as much as things change, uh, they don't, do they? Email marketing. Who knew? <laughs> right. Time now for the bonus round questions, guys. And uh, Dave, 30 years in hospitality, most of it in tech, that's quite a career. But that wasn't what you had in mind when you started out. What did you want to be? And then how did you end up here? My first uh, inspirational job was when I was a, a kid, I wanted to be a garbage man because I... <laughs> I, I I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that you could run down the street, pick up a can, whip it into the back of a truck, hop on the back of the truck, and then go back down the street to the next stop. So uh, quick, quickly learned 
that that may have not been the best career choice over uh, you know <laughs> initially. But then my uh, my four years of college, I ended up being a uh, communications and uh, journalism major. Uh, then my aspiration was to be Oscar Madison and uh, uh, be a sports writer, which I did for a while. Uh, yeah. My goal was to move to Philadelphia and uh, cover the Phillies. I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, and uh, and that was my goal. That that uh, didn't pan out. I was in I was in Wilkesbury, uh, Pennsylvania, working in a newspaper there, and I kind of realized that uh, there's better things to do than be a sports writer. <laughs> and so, long story short, I leveraged my way into. Uh, uh, the hospitality business with uh, with the company in uh, Niagara Falls and started in the, actually in the project management end of things. And that's how I started here in Michigan. Uh, but uh, moved, uh, put everything I owned in the back of a Toyota Tercel. I had $1,400 in my pocket that I withdrew from the bank. And I started my uh, travel tourism and hospitality career as a uh, project manager at a Holiday Inn. And then eventually uh, moved on and, uh, and boom, before you know it. Uh, I'm in digital marketing <laughs> after, after some, some careers in there's some time in group sales yeah. and, uh, and convention sales. Um, but one of the things I did learn, uh, it, the, the communications, journalism, media, uh, early on to right now, it, it, I had an incredible base education and fundamental and, and sound education for what I'm doing right now, because everything I learned 30 years ago in college, believe it or not, does somewhat apply right now. So I, I had a great uh, uh, foundation just by, uh, by that type of, uh, of, of career path. And you know, actually, I don't know if you've looked at it this way, but you actually succeeded in your initial career choice as a waste management executive because a lot of people think that email is garbage. <laughs> right? You're successful on every single column. That it works. <laughs> there you go, right? So, hey, Brian, uh, you and I have a number of things in common. One of them being is we both used to work in radio. My first <laughs> summer on the air, I used my real name for the first couple of weeks until guys started banging on my apartment door at 2 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, Bill, come out and party with us. I quickly jumped to using my middle name and became Bill Taylor. Problem solved. But I understand that your air name when you were on the radio was much more interesting. Oh, not really. I mean, it was Vince Parks was my name <laughs> on radio. So it was Vince Parks is, is what I used on that. And I have no idea uh, how I even came up with that. My middle name was Vincent. So I was like, oh, I'll be real clever and I'll just say Vince. And then I've always liked the name Parker. So I just thought that was a cool name. So I was like, I'll just be Vince Parks. And I, and I did that. So yeah, uh, radio was a lot of fun. I'm glad I moved on from that, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we all are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was the format? It was adult uh, all over the road. So I did afternoon drives for, okay. for, for a couple of years, actually. And it was like adult rock, basically. <laughs> nothing, nothing thrilling. I started out of you know college radio, which of course was rock. My only job opportunity was an adult contemporary and it was totally canned. I mean, I had no choice over the music. It, they were on huge reels and it just happened, right? It just, all I was doing was doing the weather every three or four breaks and a couple of commercials. And I was doing nights, six to midnight, I was so bored. And I knew that there was an opportunity after the, I was central time, so after the 10 o'clock news, people tend to you know, head off towards bed if they're not watching Carson or something like that. And so I started slipping in love songs from like my personal collection. So little James Taylor, some stones, a little acoustic stone, stuff like that. Right. And slowly, 
it really started to build an audience and we people were calling after 10 30 and, and asking for stuff and my general manager was absolutely none the wiser until uh, he figured out one one evening i played a song after a, a tornado warning um, called tornado and and he <laughs> He came in. I was so busted. And luckily, his wife saved me because she says, honey, um, we make love to his songs after 1030. <laughs> Let him keep doing that. Yeah, I, I have kind of a similar story to that. Like the, the music that was on during my time, it was like Chumbawamba, Tub Thumping. And it was like Sarah McLaughlin was really big at that time, like building a mystery and all, all that stuff. Yeah. And I remember I, I would kind of slip in my own songs in there. And I remember Dave Matthews band came came out with this new song. I forget. I think it was Don't Drink the Water, I think, is the song that came out. And I was like, this has to get on the air. This is amazing. And uh, it was it was just hilarious. And boy, I got I got to just chastise for playing <laughs> Dave Matthews band. And I'm like, what is going on here? It was just bizarre. That's great. Guys, thanks so much for your insight. And all you do as thought leaders in the digital space for all of us in the DMO world. Where can people find you if they're thirsty for more? Oh, right here in Michigan at 26digital.com. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the things that you guys are doing from a thought leadership perspective, I mean, you're, you're doing podcasts, you're doing videos, you're doing newsletters. I mean, t tell us a little bit about of some of the free stuff that we can get from you. Oh, number one, uh, check out our blog, uh, the blog at 26digital.com. I mean, we put a ton of work into getting people information. I, I, I really pride ourselves in, in how we educate. It's not a sales pitch. It, it, really, anything we do, whether it's not our blog posts, our e-newsletters uh, that are going out monthly. I mean, they, they literally are showing people the way. You want to work with us? Awesome. Call us. You know, we'll be great partners with you. But at the same time, like I personally feel really rewarded when, you know, it's sad to say, but like people don't need us anymore, right? Like they might work with us for a while and they, they work and they learn and, and, and we execute these programs. And then finally it's like, yeah. it turns into a butterfly and they fly right. away, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that's amazing. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that we work with destinations, large and small. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what your budget is or how big your team is. I mean, we've worked with you know, a dozen people on a team to, you know, that one person, you know, trying to execute everything. We customize our plans to, you know, what you can do and try to get the maximum impact out of it. I mean, everybody has different skill sets. We can't force people to do the same strategy over and over and over, right? So we really like to understand who's on your team, what talents you have. Let's write a strategy that you can actually execute and be successful with. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think we do really well is meeting people where they're at. And then trying then to lift them up as far as we, you know, we can to that point where they're ready to fly out of the nest. Very, very cool. So they can find you at 26Digital. All letters, no numbers. All yep, letters. All, letters. Yeah. all right, guys. Thanks again. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers. This is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. Thanks also to this episode's sponsor, Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. If you're looking for a new opportunity or looking for the perfect candidate, call them. You can find more at searchwideglobal.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>